You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hi there, everybody. It's David, and today I have an interview, or more of a conversation, with Simon Drew. Simon is the founder of The Walled Garden. He started the Practical Stoic podcast, which then became... Uh, the Walled Garden Podcast. It's kind of the flagship podcast of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society. And I've talked a little bit about my interest in Stoic philosophy. But today, talking with Simon, we really get into some of the things beyond just Stoicism, things related to poetry and the archetypes, and a little give you a little more of an idea of what the Walled Garden is actually about. I wanted to mention that in the interview, we talk about Simon's book, The Poet and the Sage, and you can you can buy it through the Walled Garden. You can also, if you join as a member, read the ebook um, online. And there's another big event coming up at the Walled Garden this week. So on January 5th, it's a Thursday night, that we'll have a presentation by Joe Syracuse. So Joe is a an author, and he's an expert. He's an expert on a lot of things, but one of them is international politics and nuclear nonproliferation. And so he's there's a new podcast episode out that I'll I'll link in the show notes as well that you can listen to for free. At least the way I took what I took away from it is him explaining how some of this the philosophy that we're developing at the Walled Garden how does that contribute actually to trying to solve some of the biggest problems in the world in international politics. Um, so it's a big claim, but Joe is really a guy with just a lifetime of expertise. So his meetup and it's a presentation and there'll be a question and answer session is a one of the one of the few uh, paid events that we've started doing but if you are interested in attending if you wanted a 50 percent off discount code just contact me on twitter and but I'll, if you're not able to make that meetup event i'll put a link to two of joe's podcast episodes as well so here is my interview with simon drew Hey there, Simon. Welcome to Between Two Ravens. So today we're talking to Simon. I should do a little bit of an introduction that he's, a lot of ways, kind of the, the founder of the Walled Garden that brought together the initial groups, you know, founding group, and then these other founding members of uh, podcasters, authors, philosophers, um, a lot of different perspectives. That Stoicism kind of at the root of it. And even on Between Two Ravens, often I talk about how I really have this interest in Stoicism and that I see it in the myths. Um, but also that I see Jungian things show up in the myths. And I really wanted to talk to Simon today, just so that Simon is kind of, a, he wrote a mythic poem, which is you know, a modern poet writing something. And that's, um, I think a lot of people before they, you know, learn much about Norse mythology, wouldn't realize that, you know, there's modern books on mythology you can read that read it like a story, but it all comes from poetry. Sort of the, the final, the um, first documented Myths from the North, the, the Norse tradition, were poetry, and it was things that these uh, these bards, these skaldic poets, kind of went traveled town to town and told the poems to people, and that some of them were written down around the year nine hundred, and you know that's kind of all we know, right? There was a whole history of that happening for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years before that. Um, so that's why I think you know just anybody listening, right? We're we're talking about poetry today, so. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything else you'd like to say kind of to, uh, I don't know, introduce yourself to our audience? No, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's great to be on here for the, uh, for the first time. This is awesome. You know, this is, uh, the inaugural 
beginning of what I, what I hope will be many more conversations between us in the new year. Um, cause, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride so far this year, getting everything things set up. I feel like with the walled garden, we're just this year, we've been kind of digging up our foundations, you know, uh, laying the cement, you know, now we can really start to put that scaffolding together and, um, and yeah, in in a way, you know, my founding contribution to the whole uh, world garden piece is uh, is my poetry, uh, which in no small way led me to starting the world garden. You know, so um, yeah, I guess we can start from there. But let's, I'm going to let you direct this conversation well, wherever you want to go, man. Because yeah. that, that's certainly yeah. what I saw, right? Because I've I was following your journey before uh, I managed to get myself invited along on the Walled Garden journey, right? That it was the Practical Stoic podcast. And then it was as you kind of met Sharon and Kai and you shared the side of you that's about the poetry, you know, so that's the Walled Garden. It's a philosophical society. So clearly people who want to study philosophy come there. But I've really always emphasized on our Between Two Ravens podcast, it's looking for the wisdom in Norse mythology, right? And that idea of you can find wisdom all kinds of places. So that within the Walled Garden, yeah, we have a lot of Stoic philosophy, but we have this mystical and poetry ideas that I think we're just starting to kind of figure out how we're actually bringing that into, uh, how are we, how are we sharing that with an audience? But yeah. 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 I mean, like, uh, the walled garden, <clears throat> I was talking about this today with, uh, Anthony Arismendi, the, um, uh, very interesting, uh, mystic and, um, uh, FBI agent, things like that. But, uh, talking about how the walled garden really, uh, is, uh, it's a container that I hope we will fill with extremely meaningful um, proof of the work that we do as philosophers or poets or artists or mystics or whatever it is, you know, uh, aligned with our mission and vision. <clears throat> It'll be our container where, um, and it's funny because Anthony was saying this today, you know, he can really see that, like I said, we've laid the foundations. We've we've already made the little bit of a ripple throughout, you know, um, throughout eternity. And what we do from now will affect those ripples and they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Um, and I've had people say to us, you know, what seems from the outside, it looks like what you're creating will be um, something that outlives you, you know, and, and that's what I really hope is it you know, we get to create something so beautiful here, so um, meaningful uh, that, you know, 500 years from now, people will look back and, wow, you know, look at this little thing that they were trying to create here, you know, this this phenomenal, you know, uh, beautiful online walled garden, you know, and I hope that eventually we can live up to our, our stated mission and, and, um, yeah. and vision, which is, uh, you know, moving into physical locations, things like that. So, um, yeah, man, uh, it's, it's an exciting project. Um, I'm so honored that we've, you know, all of these incredible people are coming together and I just, I'm so excited to see where we take this. It's interesting because it's such a big claim as you're saying it, but it also completely fits this idea in, in Norse mythology and the old Norse idea of fate and the, the, the old Norse word for it was orlog, but it's this idea of kind of, like you said, it's a, that you do something. And then it's a ripple. And then actually that, that 
the uh, fate changes in some way when you sort of when you do something, I think your word for it would be an alignment. When you find yourself in alignment with nature or something, then it's um, you're connected. They describe it more as a web kind of rather than uh, ripples of water. But I think it's that same way of saying that. Yeah, the web is a beautiful image. But but certainly, um, yeah, I I think what the walled garden has taught me, um, if anything, is – that when you when you do really align with oh my gosh there's a there's a purpose that I'm being called to pursue here or there's a mission that I'm being called even to get to that stage where you recognize that that's a possibility that you might get this profound feeling within yourself that I'm actually being called to do something here and when you heed that call you know oh my gosh, the people who have kind of come out of the woodwork and offered their help or their expertise or their encouragement, you know, over the past year. And then, you know, with somebody like, uh, like Rocco, for example, you know, every, everybody who I have in, in, in the walled garden here, I, I have a special kind of relationship with, um, and a history with, um, the interesting thing about Rocco. And I think meeting Rocco for me was like a, it was like a point in my journey where it was so unbelievably clear to me that there were these other forces at play here. You know, they say uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that first conversation that I had with Rocco on his show, after that, I said to him, I said, we're going to be working together and, and you're going to teach me, you know? And, and he was like, I know (laughs) because it's so so much synchronicity there between what he knows and what I need to become. And, you know, and and the poetry that he writes in this, there's weird intertwining of the poetry that we both write, you know, where there's synchronicity between it. And so, yeah, that's what I'm excited about is just I keep on seeing that people are coming out of the woodworks and, and offering their help. Um, and there's a reason for that because we're, we're really all aligning with a a, a a very important mission here with the World Garden. Yeah, that I uh, really would like to e- either get Rocco on here or that I should try to get on his show somewhere in the next year. A little bit like you're saying, I want to make sure that I'm yeah. ready. But I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah, so, many yeah. great, so many great conversations I could have with him. Uh, for anybody who's listening and not familiar, so it's a Rocco Jarman. It's the um, Eyes Wide Open Life podcast. Yes, his website, yeah. right? Yeah, that that he really talks about about um, her- hermetics, and that that's to me tied right with uh, alchemy, which is you know Carl Jung's inspiration. That the hermetics looks at the pantheon of gods, at least some of my understanding. They they consider all those ideas, so it really ties into Norse mythology in a different way. Um, I actually just read a book. Um, the Jungian tarot. They're reading about tarot cards. I'm like, that's a strange thing. I don't know any, I don't know anything about tarot cards, but that it's just one other way to, it's a system of archetypes. It's this idea that you need a language of archetypes, whether you get that from Christianity or Norse mythology or the runes in a kind of Nordic runes or tarot cards or, you know, the, the Egyptian or Greek gods, right? It's, you need that to think about these things that are hard to think about. You can't quite put into words, you know, you can put them into poetry, but it's hard to quite put mm. them into words maybe. Um, mm, mm. yeah, I mean, 
there was certainly a point for me where, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I spoke with a very interesting guy, but his name is blanking at me right now. Um, I'm going to blame that on it being uh, uh, evening here. Um, but nonetheless, he, he's a guy who uh, uh, has spent a lot of time with the I Ching uh, and with various uh, um, uh, forms of or, or tools or or systems that help us to turn on our intuition, you know, and the way that he was describing tarot cards, you know, I was like, you know, that actually makes sense. Yeah. There's just so much spiritual junk food out there today. And there's so <laughs> much, uh, you know, uh, just silly stuff that of course, yeah. most people today are like, yeah, that stuff is bullshit, <laughs> you <laughs> know? But if you go right back to it, there's very sophisticated methods of turning on that intuition within us that can receive yeah. insight, you know, that it depends is something, how people are using yeah. it. I think Rocco would say there, there's plenty of charlatans. I think I've heard him use that word. Yes. Because when you, it goes back learning to think for yourself, right? When you learn to use those systems yourself, you learn to make sense of it in a way that you can make sense of it, right? That, uh, that, that episode with the I Ching, I think I linked it on, because I did an episode myself talking about the idea of the Nordic runes contrasted with the I Ching and, um, you know, systems of divination Yeah, that it really helped me. It's, it's a thing where actually I, I like the I Ching. I don't quite understand the runes well enough to claim I could use them for anything all that useful. Although probably understand them about as well as, you know, <laughs> better than 90% of people, but, um, that, that the I Ching, it, it does a lot of the work for you. Uh, I, I was actually just looking at the poet and the sage today. It was a thing I've, I tried to make it into an article, but it's never quite coherent. But the difference between the seer and the prophet and it's this idea that the, you know, a seer would make sense of runes, but the prophet just needs to like interpret what the seer sees or what the I Ching kind of says. I don't know how that, mm. I'm kind of bring up some of these archetypal terms like seers and prophets, but curious <clears throat> your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is I'm so unlearned, you know, with all of this sort of stuff. I, I really, um, uh, I, I feel like an imposter most of the time when it comes to these sorts of things, because, you know, I kind of just had these experiences of, and continue to have these experiences of catching this poetry, you know, um, and, and what comes out is, uh, uh, <laughs> weird stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> strange yeah. you stuff. Studying that, anything with Jungian stuff or you start, <laughs> Actually, you, you start reading, you know, you read Volspa, the, uh, one of the first poems of the Poetic Edda, you read about Odin, and weird stuff starts happening, and you start having dreams and things, and, uh, well, that's my yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. mean, but, but, I mean, when it comes to these, you know, archetypes, it's funny, I was talking about this today um, uh, with another friend of mine, uh, this idea that when, when, I, when I started writing poetry, um, it became clear to me that that's what I was. Oh, I'm a poet, yeah. you know? Oh, okay. Now it just, you know, it, it was kind of just thrust upon me. And, and I, I, I would, it was, it was a strange experience. Cause I, I went from being in a world where I thought that being a poet was more of an occupation where you say, I'm going to write poetry and I'm going to get really good at this and I'm going to practice and practice and practice. And then I'll be a good poet then I shifted over into a world where I realized, no, this is actually, this is built into the fab fabric of my being. This is not something that 
you know, yeah, you'll get better over time, but this is not something that you choose as an occupation or this is not something that we well, definitely don't because you won't make any money out of it. But, <laughs> but you, you don't, this is not something that you choose. It's, it's something that you, you just are, you know, and, and I think the same thing goes for the prophet or the seer. You know, it's, it's something that is just built into the fabric of who you are that, this is the stage that you're at. This is what you, this is what you are. This is where you're going. And it, once you wake up to that, I feel like you also wake up to the, to the fact that, that we do live in, like you said, this, this web where, you know, we are pieces of this phenomenal puzzle called the cosmos, you know, and there is a, there's a role that we are playing and uh, perhaps some of it is fate. Some of it is part of our nature. Some of it we choose, but um, I became very fascinated with just that, that completely new world that, that I was thrown into of waking up to, yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, we, we have this individual nature and our job is to figure that out and then to live in alignment with that. That's where I was really impressed when I heard some of your, uh, excuse me, you being interviewed some of the other places about the book, the poet and the sage and your process of writing it. And so that's where, you know, the, the idea of you being the poet is very similar to what I've read about this idea of being a seer, right? A person who you see these things and you write them down. And as you said, you don't sometimes even entirely know what they mean, but you know, you saw it and you need to write it down. Right. And yeah, there was this book, uh, it was a book on, uh, uh, the Orphic traditions where they had a seer in the temple back in ancient Greece. And then there would be a prophet that would interpret whatever message they came up with, whatever dream they came up with. The idea is sometimes you don't want the same person to do both because that process of analysis might get in the way of just letting yourself being open and seeing. Um, mm. And it's the thing I found in myself, like maybe I have a little bit of this, you know, intuition and trying to uh, see things, but maybe I'm much, I'm much more the an- analysis. Like clearly I, I analyze things. Right. And mm. that that's a role maybe to explain it to everybody else, right? It's one thing for, you know, some people will read your book and read the poetry. Um, some people will read it and they just won't get it. Right. But some people, maybe they really will get it. Right. But that way to like show them what they're, what's, what's in here, right? What are these things you see? That's to my, my mind. That's kind of the, the Jungian analysis, analyzing the archetypes of the poetry. There's something mm. that could kind of lose the beauty of it, but also maybe it really finds the depth in it too. So that's my thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, um, I'm honored anytime anybody, you know, takes my work seriously enough to go in and say, <clears throat> what's going on here? Cause I'd like to know too, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, you know, I have, you know, a good friend of mine, he said, um, yeah, he said, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, I don't, I don't really understand it. You know, joke's not funny if you have to explain it. He wanted it to be simplified. And I was just like, no, you just don't get the joke. <laughs> <laughs> you like, like there's, there's, you know, and, and I, I think that that's what's, um, cause, cause like you said, that the, the, the process, if you could call it a process is literally just capturing insight, you know, and, and, and the, the discipline is learning how to make yourself available to receive that insight, but also, uh, how to be as, uh, switched on as possible in the way that you do things that, that you can actually capture it, you know? Um, 
and and poetry is a way of capturing it and and again even you know the words i'm not thinking like how do i capture this insight and use the right words it's it's something that if it's if it's going it's 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 like a communion it's a it's a it's a, it's a dialogue um and and you're just capturing that conversation and sometimes it feels like that and it comes out i mean it came out in the poet and the sage like this but sometimes it is really that dialogue where yeah. there's the spirit that speaks and then there is the the person who responds and there's a conversation there there's a wrestling back and forth you know um it it really is a lot like um what carl Jung calls active imagination which is where you take your dream you get those figures in your dream and then you they're they're all parts of you so now Mm. now they need to speak to each other because they haven't been speaking that's why they're showing up trying to get your attention in the dream and then you let them speak to each other. And that's where I was struck. I was just reading one of the chapters today that when, when I do the active imagination, I really need these intermediaries, something that really personifies it, but you're actually really talking to the archetypes in quite a bit of it. It's like really, you know, sometimes it is this guy, but often it's just like the mother, right? It's the archetype, right? Or something. And it's, mm. um, mm. You, you don't know you're doing it probably when you were doing it, right? <laughs> but it's just what comes naturally. Well, I mean, when I started writing The Poet and the Sage, I had this distinct feeling. I was like, I'll probably spend a few months writing this. And then I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what the hell happened. <laughs> mm. um, and, and what the hell happened was write The Poet and the Sage and hundreds of other poems, you know, and, and, and pieces. And, and there's, there's much more to come. Um, you know, one of the pieces that I'm, uh, uh, most, um, I don't want to say proud of, it's not that I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued by this piece. It's called, uh, uh the poetic mandalas, um, uh, or, uh, the, the ladders to God. And, um, it's this series, it's, it's 12 pieces broken up into 12 verses each. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of wrote this as I was walking around um, uh, Mount Tipragagan on the, on, the, uh, on the Sunshine Coast through the forest there. And it's just this really um, uh, strange mix of, of kind of uh, uh, really big thinking you know, like when the masses go this way, the sage goes that way, you know, when the masses do this, the wise among them do this. And then the sage does this. And there's this kind of shifting, uh, 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 thing that's going on where it's kind of trying to get across what is the, what is the middle way approach or what is the approach that one takes in order to maintain harmony balance within a society at large. And, you know, after writing that, you know, that, it just really intrigues me how this sort of stuff, like we look at say sacred poetry, like you know, scripture or sacred texts, things like we, I did. And I know most people probably do. You look at these texts as sort of like an artifact of like, Oh, look, this is something that, you know, somebody wrote all this time ago, or, you know, this is a, a you know, it, it, there's kind of a cloudiness around a lot of these texts of kind of like, you know, if you don't believe that it was like divinely inspired by God, then you're just like, Oh, it's just another book, you know, but it's not like there's something going on here. And, and I think what, um, what I've learned through 
the poetic journey is that that same spirit exists today. We still have that capability. We do have the archetypes of the, the scribe, you know, the prophet, the, 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 the seer, like you say, the, the, the poet. And we, we can capture that through the art that we make, you know, or, but even to call it art, I don't even know. It's, um, it, it just, it just really, you know, I just remember, uh, <clears throat> looking at, uh, you know, the start of the year and the end of the year when I had started writing this poetry and thinking, I don't even recognize the way that I see reality (laughs) compared to the start of the year. I think that's that philosophical initiation. Like we talk about, you know, yeah. At the, so that's, uh, yeah, we probably should have recorded some of that earlier conversation too, right? About (laughs) the, the archetype of initiation. What is it to be initiated into mature masculinity? It's, a lot of the Jungian stuff, it ends up being kind of gender biased, but it's, <clears throat> as I explained on the, with the mythology podcast, it's like, well, these were myths mostly written by men, right? And the, especially the Norse myths. Mm. So it's men trying to figure out men's psychology, right? So maybe, maybe women do have, a, their, their psychology might be different. It might not be that different, but it's, you know, when you're looking within the depth of your own mind, you're just finding how you are as, you know, gendered being. Mm. But that is why I say the, you know, especially the initiation into mature masculinity that if there's not ritual elders, people in your society that show you what it is to be a real man, what is it to be and, and a good man, not just a man who is, you know, it was a fun uh, kind of a Facebook argument thing on within one of the stoic threads on uh, toxic masculinity. They're like, what, what, what does stoicism actually say about toxic masculinity? There's people going toxic masculinity doesn't exist. You know, stop being so woke and all, you know, just people going off about it. Right. Well, and I shared a comment that, you know, two or three people really liked it, but it was that, um, one of the things that the problem isn't masculinity, the problems in society come from patriarchy. And that that's different because it's insecure masculinity grasping for power. That mature masculinity doesn't need to grasp for power because you have power over yourself. Maybe you get receive power from a higher power. You don't need to constantly be desperately trying to prove you have power over everybody. So that... Mm. And that would be the idea that actually our society needs more masculinity, not less, but it needs secure masculinity, not insecure people. Mm. Um, mm. But what was my certainly point? a form, yeah. certainly a form that like, yeah, is, you know, in the same way that respect is not something that you can just ask of, say, give me respect. Right. That doesn't work. Now you're seeking power. You, you want to yeah. control the way that I feel about you. Yeah. Whereas if you are a person worthy of respect, yeah. you will receive it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you don't receive it and you're a person who is worthy of respect, a little nudge in the right direction will usually wake people up to, Oh, yeah. oh this is a person I should respect. <laughs> you know, we've all yeah. been on the receiving end of that where there's some, you know, maybe you act up around somebody who really you shouldn't, you know, act up around. And, and they might say, I remember, uh, uh, Joe Syracuse. This is a great example. He's somebody who like, man, that guy, he is a man worthy of respect and you give it to him. Right. Um, and I remember I, uh, we had this chat one day and I was like, okay, cool. We're going to be meeting at one thirty. Yeah. It's like one thirty PST and that's going to be this time for you. Okay, cool. And he was like, yeah. So is that the time for me over here? And I did the Googling and, and, uh, it turned out that I was wrong by about an hour, right? And so, and he was fine with it. You know, he showed up to the meeting and everything was awesome. But at the end, he made a little comment. He said, uh, 
you know, now Simon, listen, if uh, you were in my battalion, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, um, you know, you, your timing was off, we'd all be dead. Right? <laughs> and that was all that he needed to say to me. Like, all right. You know, but it wasn't like a power thing. It wasn't like, Hey, 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 you know, you know it just, I love people like that. You know, yeah. people who, who just, they have such a, like a fatherly, um, mentoring style, yeah. you know, and they're and so a, worthy of respect. You know it, you know, the term I would use is that he's really channeling the archetype. When I listened to his interview, it was a very funny thing that struck me that, you know, what you say? Like he's, he's a guy to really respect. And when I, this is kind of the idea of the shadow. When this thought pops through my mind, it feels disrespectful, right? It's like, but he's actually, he's doing exactly what so many people's fathers or uncles are trying to do at the Thanksgiving table when they talk about politics. Right? There's so many people trying to do that, but he actually knows what he's talking about, right? And that's where, because there's parts where like, he sounds very full of it. He sounds, you know, why does he think he knows everything, right? But he really knows a lot of things. And, and that is the difference that you're not, you're not trying to prove anything. You're just, you know, if you have that expertise, you have it. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was, it was something kind of, that clearly he's very, he's being the father. And to go back to that idea of initiations, right. That we need those people in society and we don't have a lot of them. There's not a lot of, you know, good fathers, secure fathers, right. There's, there's plenty out there, but there's not enough. And certainly not what there probably used to be. Um, in times yeah. where, but it also goes back. We're talking about the mythology one of the definitions I like being the stories of a culture, right? So the, the ritual elders share the mythology and they say, this is what our culture is. When you don't know what the culture is or you lose the culture, the idea is it, it shows back up through those experiences like your poetry, right? It would be actually one way to, to say that, why these things, they pop back out of the collective unconscious. Um, and then we have to figure out what to make sense of it. And this really is what the poet, yeah. the sage speaks to. Is anyone going to want to listen? But well, they can or they can't. <laughs> and however, it goes. Yeah. Well, part of that is my uh, uh, um, in in the past few years, just my inability to uh, my reluctance to you know be the person who promotes. You know, because when yeah. when something like that happens, you know, when all this poetry comes along, you kind of think, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and how this is not some, this is not something that you just take out there and, Hey, uh, come and listen to my pub. You know, it's not like a thing that you go and promote, you know, or like it's, um, it's something that should be like offered. Um, but in, in, in a respectful way. And so I've been, I think that's been the thing that, you know, what, the next question is like, where do I put this? What do I do with this? Yeah. You know, how do I, um, get it to and and so far you know it's been a matter of giving it to people people like yourself and pe people who i know will receive it well and and kind of get what's going on um but it is uh, sort of the question yeah, towards the idea of initiation thing. what do you need to know first before you can see it before you can read it with an open mind it's, it's the thing I've really realized about between two Ravens. Like I'm not actually sure people can just drop in and listen to a brand new episode and have any idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Need the previous year worth of us following this path and why I say these things about Thor and these things about Loki. And I mean, some of it's inside jokes, but some of it is like that we've done all this setup and this is, mm -hmm. you know, how I see it. And when, you know, Sean will frequently, uh, he recently made a joke. It was like between two Ravens, the show where everybody is Odin and everybody's also Loki and everything is a phallic sacrifice. And it's like, <laughs> you know what that means if you've been following us, but. 
I love that. And, and, and don't you think that, isn't that one of the most beautiful things about our current time that because we're able to document, right, you can literally watch the evolution of somebody's thinking in, in real time, you know, back in the day, maybe you'd, you'd read a book and then, you know, a few years go by and then you read another book and you can still see that evolution. Right. But it's like, um, people can come along and you go to episode one of the between Ravens podcast, you know, between two Ravens podcast. And, you know, they can follow that adventure that you guys are going on. And I think that in itself is just so, um, it's so revolutionary, you know, uh, uh, to be able to show the process of learning like that. Um, and, and I've had people say the same thing about like the walled garden to the, to the, uh, uh, you know, the, the practical style to the walled garden that, mm. you know, you start out and you're one person and you're in a certain time and you're in a certain frame of mind and you've got a certain amount of understanding. And, you know, over time there's kind of like a waking up to the responsibility yeah. of having a podcast. And, oh, okay. Well, this is actually, this has to be first about my adventure of learning and exploring and people will learn with me if it's about, yeah. you know, if, if I take that seriously. And, um, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm excited to be, you know, talking with you and, and, and learning with you and everything is because you're so fascinated with, like you said, that the, the Jungian side of things, the archetypes, mythology, and, um, I'm now getting to the stage where I really, I, I want to dive back into the education side of things. You know, I've been creating a lot. Um, uh, but now I, I I really do want to explore the great thinkers and allow them to uh, uh, just see, see what I see in their writings now that I've kind of gone on that adventure, you know. Yeah. Because um, I'm such a noob. Oh, yeah. well, and that, and <laughs> People that, don't that, realize well, that. I, no, I mean, and, the, really. and the practical stoic <laughs> journey, right? That it'd be interesting for people to go now and follow along, right? Someone to go start at the beginning, but especially during that COVID pandemic, that's when people were looking for answers, right? So as you said, you're like, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but well, you sound like you're making sense out of something better than most people are right now, right? Mm. That I remember my own part of that journey was following, and there's you know these parts where they're they're talking about reason and it's like, okay, I like reason. And then they're talking about the divine reason is the same thing as universal nature. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Science, understanding nature, reason, that's all right up my alley. Right. And they're like, well, actually the Stoics say that's the same thing as God. And it's like, oh, is, is yeah, that a way yeah, you can yeah. find God? Right. Like that's interesting. And, and then there's, you know, and then the, like the divine spark, right. And the, uh, and then, and the human soul. And I'm reading Carl Jung stuff talking about that the true self, well, that's kind of the soul or the, or maybe it's the anima that's the soul. And it's, you know, the, it's the thing that's hard for me to explain sometimes, but you know, why study mythology? Why, why learn to interpret your dreams? I can't remember where I got this term from, but this idea, symbolic reasoning, that you're reasoning using symbols. It's not quite your standard kind of reasoning, you know, like is, um, is Odin the shaman, right? And it's like, well, it doesn't say exactly that he's the shaman. I guess he does these things, but it's not once you see that pattern, he's a symbol of this symbol, right? And what is it for modern psychotherapists to do something like trying to heal a soul wound, right? And what, what is all of that? But it's all the same story when you see it a certain way, but you have to kind of, you know, there's a process to go through. I, I didn't used to see things this way. <laughs> so, mm, mm, Yeah. Yeah. Symbolic reason. It, it just, we, we're so trapped 
in um, in these times uh, with with this kind of I think to what you said about like reason, I think that's one of the things that uh, we really need to change our perspective on. You know, what is reason? What does it mean to reason? Um, Reason capital R, you know, moving up that level and saying, oh my gosh, there is, you know, this fundamental reality and we are trying to understand that. You know, and there's so many ways that we can get to it. You know what I mean? Like there's 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 so many different ways of seeing and understanding, and um, it it's one of the reasons why I really want the World Garden to be a place where we explore, you know, truth, wisdom, virtue, the divine, beauty. You know, through many different lenses. What happens when you? look at philosophy through the lens of a piece of music or through a poem. What happens when a poet talks about music? What happens when, you know, a philosopher talks about poetry, you know, all of these different ways of exploring these, um, you know, these profound art forms or, or disciplines. Um, I think that when you do that, when you allow yourself to explore different ways of knowing, you see that, oh my gosh, yeah, there is, there is this capital R reason. There is this totality. There are, there are these archetypes of people who come along and, you know, like for me, Miles Davis, man, his music was brilliant, but what a philosopher, you know, the way that he talked about creativity, but people wouldn't consider him as a philosopher. And so they wouldn't even go there and they wouldn't even start. Um, and, uh, and so I just think, you know, we, we, we have a very limited view of, um, you know, where we should take our authority from or our understanding from today. Whereas to the Stoics, yeah, that, that capital R reason, you know, that insight into the workings of this complex web of cause and effect, this totality that is also a fragmentation, you know, that you can find yourself in that kind of insight. You know, the, the word that comes to my mind is from my, my brief uh, efforts in a PhD program is the paradigms. What are the different paradigms by which you th- see things? Right? It's that mm-hmm. idea like, which is true, Newtonian physics or quantum physics? And some argument that maybe quantum physics is more true, but that doesn't entirely mean that Newtonian physics is not true. It's at what level are you looking at things, right? And that it's true when you see the bigger picture outside of your paradigm, or you can you see multiple paradigms, and then what do they all kind of point to that seems like truth, that, where that somewhere they all agree? But, um, mm. Mm. but most people don't want to step outside of their paradigm. Then it's a um, similar phrase, I guess, would be like your philosophy of life, right? Or metaphysics, right? Is Is the world ordered and good, right? Like the benevolent providential cosmos, or is it chaotic and it's out to get me? And it's, you can't actually prove either one of those uh, particularly well. It's however you want to look at it. It's a paradigm. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Hey, I mean, could, you know, can people get outside of their paradigms? Well, I mean, I, I kind of see this in the way that the Stoics saw ignorance. It's like, you can't be angry at somebody for being ignorant because they cannot be otherwise, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're in that paradigm. I, you know, I am 
ignorant to so many things. And until that point where I'm fortunate enough to either come across a person who teaches me or a book or to pick something up or to actually have insight into it or something like that, just ignorant, you know? Um, yeah, isn't it's, it's, it's such a, it's a sad thing, but at the same time, I mean, it's like, it, I think what that says to me is we need to be so grateful for the moments where life throws us an opportunity. Um, uh, one of the things that I think is quite important, Rocco talks about this as well is, you know, do you know how to yield to a, do you know how to recognize a person who has superior wisdom to you and then to yield to that person? I think if, you know, if you if we can learn how to recognize people or recognize wisdom when we see it you know um and then to be able to receive that well and this is a theme that comes out in the poet and the sage as well um is this idea of like how can we um get into a state where we so where, where we're like a sponge where the right information has a welcome place in our in our souls yeah. whenever it comes to us. That that I think was something maybe we said before we started recording was that part of it, it's also thinking for yourself. Right? As you're saying, you 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 trust that other people might have more wisdom than you, but you still are asking the question of does it feel right? Right? Does it does it seem like that's real truth or not? And that 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 is a balance, right? But yeah, that you know to start thinking for yourself is kind of like you know. When, you no longer just followed whatever the Pope said, right? But now society, people think for themselves. It's even just the Protestant uh, Reformation, right? But then does that eventually go to a place where now, well, I can think whatever I want, so I, I'm just going to you know, just trust my own mind and not trust anybody else's. It's like a lack yeah. of humility can come out of it. So it's, yeah, a balance, certainly, I think. Yeah, yeah, the, the wrestling between right. um, what I think I know and what I'm learning. Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, as you said that you yield to them, right. You're still wrestling. Cause I know uh, Rocco likes the, uh, the, um, jujitsu as, as, and yeah. also then, especially as a metaphor, right. That doesn't mean you just let them tell you how it is and you just lay down and take it all right. You wrestle with them yet. You yield sometimes, right. That, that yeah. is the uh, yeah. right process there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's the real challenge is like, how do I become, a person who, yeah, like how do you turn yourself into a sponge, you know? But then over time you, you kind of develop, like you say, this kind of sifting mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like it, that doesn't. The same thing, I think um, uh, it, it kind of started to happen with, I think anybody who like reads a lot, you know, they'll get to the point where they can pick up a book, you know, and within a few pages, you're like, Yep. Or nah. Or, yep. Nah. You know, you can kind of get that sense. And Emerson has this beautiful uh, uh, essay. I, I think the one that I'm thinking about is um, uh, self reliance. Yeah, the, the classic um, Emerson. And um, in in self reliance, he talks about getting to this stage where you are not only reading the ancients, but you're seeing the world through the same lens. You get how they got to write such beautiful, stunning, you know, and, and truthful words. 
And then you don't have to remember a whole bunch of quotes, you know, because you've got the same spirit, you're locked in. Um, And I think that you can see this in literature. It's like, you know, once, once you can kind of get a sense of what the ancients were all trying to, trying to get at, you know, that fundamental essence of, of um, the nature of who we are as human beings and the reality that we're in, um, you know, you pick up a book and you think, you know, yes, this person, like they have, they are locked into that same spirit, you know? Um, and, you know, how do you get there where you can, you can recognize a truly great mind worthy of your attention or, you know, um, uh, and I think it's just, it's just that trial and error over time, right? It's like you dive in wherever you can Yeah. pick up a Tony Robbins book, you know, you know, yeah, you know, I'm motivated. Okay, I'm going to pick up the next book. And then like like my friend in Tasmania says, he says, you know, that the, the, every book leads to the next, you know, yeah. and then and then every piece of wisdom leads to the next and then every great teacher leads to the next. And there's just like there's this um, refining, you know, of your soul. Don't you feel that's, that? That's, that's where I find myself is I'm trying soul? to reconcile the, the Stoic paradigm and the Jungian paradigm because they yeah. don't quite seem like they're going to agree. but it's also where I really then dive into the traditional stoicism. I'm like, you need to, you know, at least understand what they were really trying to say from their perspective. And maybe it's the truth or maybe it's not the absolute truth. Kind of like, I think Rocco again says, you know, there's, there's the way, but um, what is it? Uh, I'm trying to remember how he says, is there one true way, but it at least needs to allow for, uh, do you remember? If the way is not seeking better ways, it's not. Yeah. If it's not seeking better ways, then it's not actually the way. Yeah. And that, but that you need to really, that goes back to that kind of, submitting right to be like when, when i read something from the stoics and it doesn't make sense to me you know something from epictetus not to think that he's wrong but to allow maybe maybe i'm wrong what you know what what is it he's saying there mm-hmm. and then to still to figure out what's really the truth they're really trying to say and i get this feeling maybe that they the stoics have real truth yet maybe they're not going far enough but i'm but maybe also they have the truth and you don't need to go any further and i don't know the difference yet but i'm still just leaving it there until I, it clarifies kind of. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, don't you think um, the truth, yeah, the truth is like you say, much, much more like that. Uh, well, we need to get into a state where we are always able to wrestle with the current reality, Yeah, you know? And I think, you know, who could look at the past few years with COVID and everything, wars and everything like that, and think that we don't now live in a completely different consciousness as a human race, you know, we, something came along and, you know, just pushed us over the edge and and now we're in a completely different way, you know, and, and, and a different uh, kind of reality. But the ultimate reality is that one the, the reality of Heraclitus, wherein the constant is change, yeah. you know, and there's always going to be a, 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 a molding of humanity based on the, you know, what I've often called like the, the spirit of the age, you know, yeah. and it's, um, you know, this is also what Joe Syracuse talks about is, is the time that it takes to see, you know, um, and don't you think like, um, I, I want to ask you this as well, because 
to, to me, it, um, I think as I'm reaching 30 now, well, you know, a couple of years, but getting there, um, I'm starting to see the wisdom of that idea that, well, that there is some wisdom that can only come with age. Yeah. You know, there is a portion of wisdom that can only come with age because you have to go through the stage of awakening to the just the vastness of everything you know of history and of politics and the movement of people and um just the happenings of your age to be able to get a a more long-term view of oh okay yeah i as a young kid, you kind of grasp onto ideas and this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to take on the word, all this sort of stuff. And then life slowly whittles you away <laughs> and shows you, hang on, slow down. There's a bigger thing happening here. I don't know. Have you noticed that? No, that, that really the, the young, that, that Carl Jung talks about it. So it's the thing where it's like, yeah, am I, am I old enough to have this wisdom? But uh, well, I read the books by the guys, guys who know some stuff. So I, yeah, it talks about that, that really Jungian psychology. And I'm wondering how much this might be true of stoicism as well. One way to say this, it's not really a young man's psychology, that the, the Jungian psychology is sort of that learning how to die, right? Learning how to mm. let go. That the first stage of life is to actually build your ego strength. And you're, you do need to create something and you need to fight for something and desire things. And then you get to a point in life, at midlife, and then you need to learn how to let go. And things change. So that's very much as my question is, I'm like, well, if I'm 35, if I'm going to live to be 70 or 72, maybe I'm at midlife. But if I'm living to be 100, I'm not at midlife. So where, where am I? Right. And it's, it's somewhere in between, right. That I can, some of these things do make sense to me and some of them probably won't make sense to me. And mm. it goes back, as you're saying, like, you know, one book t- leads to the next as I figure out what's the right book to read. We were talking about that with the Young's Red book, right. That I'm I don't think I'm quite there. And I don't know why I think I'm not quite prepared to read it. I haven't read it. So I don't know what, what I need to read yeah. there, but I, I hear it referred to so often. And um, I did just recently read his autobiography, the memories, dreams, reflections. And there's some things as I read there and see how he was making sense of his childhood. And I'm like, wow, that just makes some connections to me. And as I talk to some people, I'm like, is that something everybody experiences or that a thing like me and Carl Young experience? Cause we're kind of oddballs. And uh, it's, some of those questions, some things are universal and some things are, uh, you know, but, but to see someone is like, Oh, they really understand. They understand this thing. I understood. Um, mm. so, yeah, sort of, sort of answers the question. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment, right? When you, you've been exploring something and then you go to a, a teacher who you deeply respect they say the exact same thing. And you're like, yes, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, and then it's the pride cycle that we were taught um, growing up in the Mormon church where you're like, yes, I've got this, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden it's out of your grasp and you don't have it anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I just think, you know, how do we, you know, it's like that that moment where you go back to a book, right, that you've already read and you've highlighted certain passages, yeah. but then something stands out to you in a place that you didn't highlight back then. Yeah. And you think, I don't, there's not a lot that I get to choose when it comes to my journey of learning and education and growing into what it is that I'm becoming, any of us. You know, and the proof is that when you go back to things that you once read, you you'll see it's like, 
oh, um, that's just where I was. I, I had that moment with reading Epictetus where I came back to him a few years later and I realized that pretty much none of the stuff that I highlighted mentioned God, but then in all the unhighlighted spots, that's where he's like really bringing in God into yeah. the picture. I'm like, why was I not looking at that? Why no, especially that? now as I'm, di- I'm, I'm looking back through the Enchiridion my second time and I'm really looking into the disc- discourses somewhat for the first time. And it's really just, you know, it, it makes me wonder how many people like on the stoic Facebook things. I'm like, have, have you read all of the discourses? Because probably not, but I haven't either, but I'm kind of getting there. And it's like, when you look at it all, it's like, this is a lot to comprehend. And you hear his perspective so many times. And then things that at first you're like, well, you know, like, uh, you know, the only good is your virtuous actions and everything else is indifferent, right? At first people are like, what do you mean everything else is indifferent? My child dying is indifferent. But you hear this idea enough times in enough different ways and you look at it from every angle. And then it's like, I, I see what he's saying, right? But I couldn't actually explain it to anybody else any better than them reading. They have to read the whole thing, right? It's sort of, mm, um, mm. that's what strikes me a lot as I'm, goes back to that question of how do you educate people on it, right? It's like, they really do have to educate themselves. They have to make it make sense for themselves. I can't uh, can yeah. say it so many different ways. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them yeah. drink. And I tell you what, it is tough to make me drink because <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm such a lazy student, you know, really. Um, uh, and in many ways I just, um, uh, I lean back, I, I, I almost lean into the, um, almost a determinist approach of I'll learn things when I'm ready, you know, and things will come to me. And, and so far that's been fine, but I do feel that um, that hunger to return to the books. If I just for a moment, you know, just to, um, you know, maybe solidify some of that understanding. Um, you know, every, every time you find a great teacher, a great thinker, and you know, they, they, they bring you to a certain, um, certain water hole, water hole, you might think of it, you know, it's like, that's just another, taking the direction of great and putting the thing, the pieces together here, you know, um, they really only specialize in so many things. Right. So it's like you and Judith are doing this series on Seneca, right. Or I'm like, yeah, I haven't read a ton of Seneca. I read um, some of his, a few of the letters to Lucilius. I read the, uh, on anger that was just very relevant to, to me and my clients and things like that. But, but that I kind of just, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, forcing myself to read a bunch and try to catch up and understand Seneca. I'm like, no, I'll let you guys, explain it to me. Right. But I'm diving into Epictetus. Right. And that's just, that's the thing that speaks to me that I need to understand. And, uh, yeah, you know, you get to the end of your life, you're not going to be able to get, get everything, but it's hopefully if you're listening, you get the right things that you were supposed to pay attention to. Yeah. 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 I mean, my question is like, at what point, um, uh, <laughs> is it appropriate to, you know, like Marcus Aurelius said, throw away the books. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're, even Seneca said, um, it, philosophy has to be taking you somewhere. Otherwise, yeah. it's just a wandering along no real path, you know. But there is a path to philosophy. It's trying to lead you to real understanding of what you are as a human being and what your place is here and what the reality of the situation is. And, um, for 
for a, I mean, you see it in a lot of the Stoics' writings. This idea of, hey, you've got it. Start living, you, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Stop burying your head in all these scrolls and these books, and you know, like, please, like, start living. This is supposed to teach you who you are, and then once you know who you are, you can start. Yeah doing that work, you know, and it's especially that you, you read the books and you think, you know, who you are, but then you go apply it. And now you're going to know who you are differently as you mm-hmm. bring it back. It's very much the hero's journey that you, you go to the underworld and you find something out, but then that you need to bring it back to the people, your, your village. You need to bring it back to society and put it into practice. Mm. And maybe that it is a repetition, actually, that you need to go back Again, you're going to find something new this time, but you're going to either go to a different level deeper or you're going to go somewhere else to, um, you're going to see it a little differently right each time. So yeah. that's certainly where I, yeah. where I find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. You know, there's, there's that constant weaving out and in, out and in, you know, <laughs> where you, and, uh, um, yeah, in the same way that you, you return to the dogma, like you say, yeah, you take it out and you practice it and then, what you learn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting like a prodigal son sort of uh, vibes there, you know, like <laughs> leaving the safety and then coming back in, you know, be welcome back in. But yeah. again, my mind is fuzzy, man. I- <laughs> I'll ask you a question while, while your mind's fuzzy. I'll ask you the really hard question. No. And there's no right answer. What, what is a mystic? And it may especially just what it means to you. Cause that's one that, that even archetypally I struggle with but I'm curious your answer. What is a mystic? Oh man. You know what? Um, (laughs) So weird. The synchronicity here. That is the third time somebody has asked me that question today. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And nobody ever asked me that question. (laughs) It's just the things are aligning today and that's, uh, you know, there it is. But um, I can only give you my completely ignorant perspective, uh, which is, um, maybe I could read you a poem, but uh, uh, yeah, I'd like to read you a poem because I wrote a poem called the mystic. <laughs> um, the answer. And that, yeah. that will be my answer. But, but my, my uh, trying to be intelligent and come up with some sort of good answer is yeah. uh, it seems like the mystic is the mechanism that revitalizes a, 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 a culture or a religion that has turned to stone. You know, the dogma is perhaps the capturing of a reasoned path to enlightenment within a certain age, you know, or uh, uh, um, like we said, a certain truth, reality. Um, but then over time, you know, People are people, and you see this in religions. It's like the culture turns to stone. You know, we're about the rules. You do this, and you get this, and you do that, and you get that. And no longer about the why, out, right? Yeah. yeah, it's no longer about the why. It's just this is what we do. Yeah. It, it's yeah, exactly. It's like this is what we do, and there's rules and there's processes and all this sort of stuff. And I think that the mystic is somebody who has who who goes outside those walls and and has the real experience, you know, of, um, uh, of, uh, falling into that ocean. That is the, the totality, the, the oneness, the whole, 
uh, and then they come back and tell the village, perhaps, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. or they, they just go back on, you know, one of my favorite stories is, uh, you know, a guy over in uh, India who sells cigarettes on the side of the road and he wants to get enlightened. He goes up into the mountains for 10 years, finds a guru, you know, spends 10 years there getting enlightened. Wow. Yeah. Having this experience. And then he comes back and he, keeps on selling cigarettes on the side of the road. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's what he does, you know, but, um, yeah. Would you mind if I read, read you a poem? Yes. No, I, I definitely want to hear that. Cause yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you my like very, uh, you know, analytical thoughts on the mystic. Oh yeah. Because I ask it cause yeah. I, I can think about it a bit, but I think I don't feel what it means. And I think actually that is maybe something that has to do actually with what it is to be a mystic is to be able to feel it. But, um, yeah i'd love to hear the poem yes yeah um yeah to actually be able to experience and feel that um i think you're right uh and i think it's it's, i'm just finding it here sorry here it is okay so this one i wrote while i was sitting uh, by the side of the ocean um back in malulaba um and uh, uh there's There's only a little little bit of silliness in it, so (laughs) enjoy. Uh, The energy is thick today. It does not know what it wants. And the sea is violent and choppy, and it does not know where the wind is pushing it. And the clouds are scattered and confused, for they do not know what they want to be. And a storm gathers from the west, and the mountains across the channel now fade behind a bluish-gray veil of heavy rain. The sun may have given a glorious show on another day, but today it sinks slowly into oblivion behind the thick storm clouds. A jet plane flies above, leaving a straight, thick, white trail behind it that quickly fades. And the june grass shivers and the, wither, and the wind offers no rest, and the clouds are dyed pink, though they still do not know who they are, or or where the wind will take them, nor why it will take them there. And there's a feeling of calm and rightness in all this thick energy, like young love is just around the corner, or like a mischievous adventure is about to begin. And the caretaker ploughs a golden field in the celestial realms above, and the southern skies now wear a purple blush. I remember the three pelicans that glided with synchronicity upon the strong easterly winds, and I remember how simple and elegant they were. The moon grins at me sheepishly, and the local osprey soars above, looking for an evening mouse. And the energy is still thick and strange and scattered and tricky, and I need to pee, but the poem isn't finished. (laughs) And the ocean is still violent and the sound of the angry waves and the wind and the sound of the shivering June grass enters my soul. The sounds and sights, the thick, confusing energy, and the storms that gather, and the confused clouds, and the element of the scene which have been emitted from my view, all inform me, and I wonder how I relate to them and how they relate to me. I learned that I too am thick and scattered and tricky and confused and angry and tossed about and violent. And I learned that I too glide on the wind and I plough my golden fields 
and I leave a trail soon to be dissolved, and I cover mountains with my rain, and I search for an evening mouse, and I smile sheepishly, and I am dyed pink from the sun that sets, and I travel along my mischievous adventures, finding young love wherever I go. The title of That's the Mystic? That's the Mystic. Yeah. And I think that what I'm getting at in there is I'm laying out, and I remember that day, you know, the the sea was just really, you know, angry energy, you know, it was, uh, it was being tossed. Hi there, everybody. So at this point, we had a technical difficulty and I lost Simon's half of the audio. So I'll close this with my uh, response and thoughts on what is a mystic. And take a look in the show notes. We have a lot of the uh, podcast episodes and other philosophers we were referring to throughout the episode. And I think I can also link to uh, Simon's poem that you can read there, The Mystic, on thewalledgarden.com. Thank you. Have a great night. I'll I'll tell you, no, and that's why I'll tell you because it was the answer I was about to give you before, and so many of the things that showed up in there uh, fit. So one of the part that helps me to actually experience it is, I would say that the uh, like on the personal level, right, that the mystic experiences awe, because I think that's what you're describing in there is this awe of nature and then connected to it, right, and that's. Um, a thing I had read about before of the idea, you know, did the Vikings get to experience that when you're on a little boat and the waves could destroy you at any moment, you have a bit of awe of nature, right? That that's a thing people got to have all the time. And now we very rarely get to have it. And another way to say it is that the mystic is the lover archetype. The, the one, the book by Robert Moore, I bring up um, all the time on the podcast is that they're the four major masculine archetypes the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. And I'm often caught in this idea is, is the mystic, the magician, or the lover? That there were some things you said in there about like young love and things like that, right? And that, yeah. And it's one that we, in the, in the Norse myths, it's very hard to figure out what the lover is. There's one myth that has kind of like a very stunted version of not a, not a complete, powerful kind of lover. Um, but that the lover is also the child and to have this, in, in Buddhism, they call it the beginner's mind, child's mind, that you just see it all like it's the first time you've ever seen it. And that mindfulness of, oh, and I just noticed I need to pee, right? That's incredible mindfulness, right? So what, so what is the mystic, right? There's, there's mindfulness. There's um, something else I was going to say besides that. But it's something about that, you know, yeah. Um, Love and and that something about that is very much connection, right? And being connected to it all. So I see that's my my analysis, kind of. of and you're, you're all everything you said agreed with it, I think, and kind of fit with that. Okay, I'm on the right track as I'm trying to define a mystic. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more. It said that you, uh, so the, the thing records on your computer and then it uploads to me and it says your computer ran out of space. So we probably... <laughs> I think it'll clear all of it out as soon as we end the episode, the recording, but, uh,
Sounds like we should because I don't think it's recording your half. So. It must, it must be a sign that we need to, but uh, let me see if I can hit stop and we can keep just uh, 